It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. It is October 12th, 2020. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons like Patrick, Shan, Joseph, Dan, Brian, John, Robbie and Janet, Sarah and Frank, Karen and Manuel. I appreciate the support. I couldn't do the show without you. They became patrons to support the show and you can as well just by visiting thepetecalendarshow.com. Clicking on the link there will do it for you. So Cal Cunningham had a pretty awful news conference on Friday. I've got audio. Political vandalism in the 11th Congressional District over the weekend and the mess of the North Carolina absentee ballot system. We'll talk to Dr. Chris Cooper from Western Carolina. But first, mattress man stores, they got a great deal on uh, getting a new mattress. First off, if you've got a pickup truck and you just want to swing on by their warehouse and grab a mattress and go, they can accommodate that. They've got a warehouse full of inventory, so you can grab and go whatever mattress you would like. Now, they also have free five-star white glove delivery service locally. They ship nationwide. You can go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, and check out all of the inventory that they've got. Uh, or you can walk into any of their four stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. Um, they've got all sorts of mattresses. We bought our mattress from them years ago. Uh, it is a memory foam, and we love the memory foam but i've had inner spring and i've had uh the pillow top mattresses as well everybody's sleep style is different right the position that you sleep in is different and that's going to have an impact on what mattress is going to best accommodate you so and give you the best night's sleep they can help you with all of that also at mattress man zero down zero apr for 24 months and zero payments for 90 days Okay, so go on down for the triple zero deal at Mattress Man Stores, mattressmanstores.com, and experience the difference. It's all at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. After about a week of hiding behind a nebulous and barely responsive press release, Cal Cunningham emerged to conduct an online press conference yesterday afternoon. The Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate spent about half an hour talking with four supporters and uh, hitting on campaign talking points while avoiding the sex scandal that has derailed his campaign, which was considered to be one of the most winnable Senate seats for Democrats this year. At the end of his infomercial, his campaign permitted six reporters to all ask a single question apiece. So here they are. First up is Gary Robertson from the Associated Press. I'm sorry to ask you this question, but Cal, you've said this race isn't about your personal life, but you've spent millions of dollars on TV ads telling people about your own personal story. So aren't your recent personal activities fair game for the public to review while uh, judging your candidacy? Clear. i have taken responsibility for the hurt that I've caused in in my personal life. I've apologized to it. I've apologized for it. And I know that this campaign, our campaign, is about things that are much bigger and more important than just me. It's about the very issues and people we were just talking about right here, what Grant Lynn and Tamika. By the way, so as he's delivering the talking points, and you're going to hear them over and over again, um, as he's delivering these, 
you can tell that he has the script just below the computer monitor uh, because he keeps reading from these prepared remarks. So in case anybody is wondering whether or not this is a tightly rehearsed and scripted response, well, it is. number of North Carolinians that don't have quality, affordable health care, that's the... When I'm hearing from North Carolinians, they want a senator and a Senate candidate who is going to focus on them. Right. So that's what I'm doing. So there's the first question that came from Gary Robertson. Next is Brian Murphy from McClatchy. Obviously, I need to ask about this. Are are there any other allegations of extramarital affairs that you think are going to surface? And, And do you think you owe voters more of an explanation than you've offered so far if you're asking for their vote? Brian, look. We've heard from no less than Senator Tillis himself that this is what he wants to talk about. He, he wants to talk about this rather than <laughs> his failed record. And let me just be completely clear that what North Carolinians want is a Senate candidate and a senator who will focus on their issues. Just like we're talking about here today, about the challenges that they are facing all right so again every time just as a rule of thumb anytime somebody says let me be clear they're usually about to say something that's going to muddy the waters a whole heck of a lot uh he's not being clear he's not answering the questions and he just thinks and his campaign strategist and comms team obviously believe that if you just say let me be clear and then say something that's not clear people will think that what you said was clear the specific question was are there any more affairs are there any more allegations that are going to be coming out against you? And he won't say. And so here's the problem. You don't know what you don't know. And so right now it's just a consensual affair. That's all we know right now. But there may be more that comes. And what then? Are you going to vote for a guy who has unknown scandals waiting for him uh, or not? That's really the question. And that's what the media is trying to get to here. doesn't want to talk about that. So of course he's going to want to talk about my personal life, I'm going to stay focused on North Carolinians. Right. And to be fair, Tom Tillis is not the one who brought up the scandal, right? The scandal erupted because of Cal Cunningham's actions. I feel the need to point that out. Then came Joe Bruno at WSOC TV. Now, with all due respect, you did not answer Brian's question. Are there more women? Let me be very clear. (laughs) I'm hearing from North Carolinians that are telling me in no uncertain terms, that they want their Senate candidate talking about the issues like those that we're talking about right here today. People are tired of hearing about personal issues. They want somebody focused on them. They want somebody who is going to be a champion for the things that matter in their lives. Let me be clear as well, Joe. I have taken responsibility for the hurt that I've caused in my personal life. I've apologized for it. I've apologized to the supporters of this campaign. And now this campaign is about much more. It's much bigger than me. It's about Grant and Lynn and Tamika and the countless hundreds of thousands of people across our state that need help right now. Right. So it was about him. And then when it got uh, uh, bad that we found out all of these things, then it's not about him. Then it's about you and me and everybody else. Then it's about everybody besides him. But at first, initially, for the last year, it's been about 
him. Then Paul Wolverton at the Fayetteville Observer, he asked a question about internal polling, which Cunningham did not answer, so why bother listening to that audio, really? Um, then Laura Leslie from WRAL. I kind of have to go back to what you were just talking about in terms of being able to focus on the issues of the state. You know, I'm not hearing you saying that there aren't other women. Exactly. And I'm wondering whether that is going to be a distraction if you do end up going to Washington. Is this going to be something that we're going to be hearing about for months and months? Um, or is this is this chapter over? Well, Laura, again, let me uh, thank you for your question. Let me just be completely clear that I have taken responsibility for the hurt that I've caused in my personal life. I have apologized for it. And I hope that you see reflected right here that I recognize that a candidacy for Senate and the work of a senator is about so much more than me. It's about the people of our state. It's about keeping a relentless focus on the monumental challenges that are right here in front of us. That's what they will want out of me as a United States senator, and that's exactly what I'm going to provide. All right, and finally, Steve Harrison from WFAE. Yeah, thank you, Cal. Um, I mean, my question is is really been uh, what uh, what Brian and Joe already asked um, is uh, it again is just it, 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 I'll, I'll ask again. Do you think that this um, is this going to be hanging over your campaign um, and uh, do you think it's do you think it's fair for Senator Tillis? Uh, he is asked about allegations of, of another person, another woman. Um, do you expect him to continue? And is that a fair question? Well, look, as I made clear, Steve, uh, <laughs> Senator Tillis very clear doesn't want to talk about his own failed record. So, of course, he's going to want to try to uh, talk about something else. And let me just once again. Look, I've taken responsibility for the hurt that I've caused in my personal life. I've apologized for it. I've said what I'm going to say about it. I've answered the question and these questions. North Carolinians want me and their senator focused on them because that's what they expect. And that's what I'm going to do, Steve, and I'm I'm grateful for your question. So you can tell that he's a lawyer, right? And very much like a lawyer who rehearses his opening and closing responses or statements and his arguments. Uh, and he instructs his clients to do the same. You know, here's what you say and just keep saying this thing. And you can tell during this news conference that he did not want to stray from that script at all. And it makes sense, really. Uh, he's looking at a potential court martial. So <laughs> he's got the political ramifications to deal with, but also... Uh, legal implications uh, as well. A couple of lessons that Dallas Woodhouse, the former North Carolina GOP chairman, put out at Civitas.org, where he now works. I um, thought this was pretty interesting. He had four lessons in a piece, early lessons of the developing Cal Cunningham scandal. He says, number one, early voting is convenient, but it's risky for voters, right? Based on the disproportionate number of Democrats voting early by mail as compared to Republicans, there's very little doubt that Cunningham would have a large majority of ballots already cast in this race. Now, some of those voters may very well have some buyer's remorse. This is one of the downsides of early voting. Um also, competitive party primaries, they can be critical to both uh, protect or to, to protecting both political parties and voters at large. Uh, this is one of the 
the downsides here of when you have an uncontested primary or one that really isn't contested very much, or in the case of Cal Cunningham, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, who, you know, came in with tons of money and basically, you know, uh, bullied everybody else out of the race and cleared the field for Cal Cunningham. And the problem with that is that you don't have time to vet your candidates appropriately and you end up with somebody with a lot of baggage that you might not have otherwise uh, found out about. Maybe if like State Senator Jeff Jackson or State Senator Erica Smith and others had all been on the same footing, then maybe a strong Democratic primary would have found some of Cunningham's issues. Uh, number three, he says, we don't elect paper candidates. We elect real people. And this is a point that, you know, Cal Cunningham looked very good on paper, but real people have all sorts of problems with, you know, human frailties, contradictions, failures, and successes. And finally, he says, candidates sometimes lie to themselves. He says, politics is full of people who lie and tell half-truths and offer uh, often differ on what the truth happens to be. But campaign operatives know the most dangerous lies candidates tell are the ones they tell to themselves, and that is so very true. This is also true. Great deal on Husqvarna uh, yard equipment going on right now at the Husqvarna fall sale at General Equipment Rental. It's going on now through October 31st. You can take advantage of huge savings. If you don't believe me, go to their website, generalrents.com. You'll see what I'm talking about. They've got great deals on gas-powered and battery-powered equipment, generalrents.com. Check out the chainsaws, the trimmers, the lawnmowers, the leaf blowers, saws. Like, I'm looking at this power equipment, and I forgot that I live in an apartment. I was like, I need to get that automatic mower. Thing looks like a uh, yard Roomba. Just drives around all the time and just cuts your lawn constantly. And it, it has anti-theft technology, so if you take it off of the property, uh, it just basically becomes a paperweight and worthless. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, family owned and operated for three generations. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. In Henderson County, sign warfare is raging as party activists march into the stretch drive of uh, high-stakes presidential elections that seems to be escalating vandalism on both sides. That is from the Hendersonville Lightning Report. Republican and Democrat leaders say the defacement, destruction, and theft of signs has reached a peak in recent weeks. Uh, got taped graffiti on the storefront window of the local Republican Party headquarters uh, and Madison Cawthorn. Uh, put out a statement on Friday after a bunch of his signs and his home apparently were targeted. At 4.55 a.m. last morning, activists from far-left fringe Antifa groups acted on the aggressive rhetoric of my opponent and committed gross acts of vandalism and destruction of property across this district. My opponent's strike force inflicted thousands of dollars of damage to both public and private property. The Henderson County GOP office was defaced with graffiti. Many businesses and local homes who displayed support for both my candidacy and other Republicans were attacked. Um, he says uh, these left-wing enforcers spray-painted threats of violence, and he said the most disturbing report is that his opponent, Mo Davis, refuses to denounce these acts of aggressive violence. Um, and last week I spoke with Chris Cooper, who is the Madison Distinguished Professor of Political Science and Public Affairs at Western Carolina University, and uh, we talked about this 11th Congressional District and some internal polling that Mo Davis put out. My conclusion from this poll is this is a poll that shows that it's too close to call. That's it. It's not a very sexy 
you know, headline, but it's the truth of what it shows. I would also say that I'm, I'm always suspect of internal polls because we don't know what internal polls didn't get released, right? Nobody ever releases an, an internal poll that says, actually, it's a little bit worse than us for us than you would have thought, right? So, the fa of course, this is the one that he releases. Um, with that said, there's been many folks uh, that are skeptical that this race could be close at all, right? This is a 57% Donald Trump district. Um, even with the redrawn lines, even with the bright blue dot of Asheville still in the district, 57% of the folks in this district voted for Trump in 2016. So what this poll tells me is, you know what, maybe it is going to be closer. He's going to be a heck of a lot closer than Hillary Clinton was in this district in 2016, and maybe he has an outside chance. And and we've seen some some movement in that direction, right? The Cook Political Report, who I think does a really good job, just moved this from likely to lean Republican, which would lend a little bit of credence to this. Um, so I think he's also, you know, reporting some fundraising numbers that sound pretty impressive. We'll see when it's public and, and out there. But uh, this race is closer than it should be on paper. Yeah. Um, I also noticed there are a ton of yard signs for him throughout Asheville, Um but you go outside of Asheville, <laughs> yeah. and not so much. And 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 here's another observation: take it for whatever it's worth. I don't see any Roy Cooper signs anywhere, which is surprising. I mean, maybe he's just not doing them. But I see signs for Democrats, Republicans, a good mix all over the place. I don't see any. I still have yet to see a single sign for Roy Cooper. I don't know what that means. Um, but I think I, I just I'm I'm so burned. I'm still I still have PTSD from 2016 when somebody <laughs> told me they called into the radio show and they were like, I see yard signs for Trump all over the place. And I was like, that doesn't mean anything. And then he wins. So now it's like, I don't know what to make of any of this anymore. Yeah. No, you're right. And and I, I've seen a couple of Coopers, but not many. I think Forrest is definitely I mean, look, from the run Forrest run on that guy. Yeah. Say what you want about him. He will get a yard sign out. Yes. Um, and I think it, it probably does mean something as far as Davis getting, you know, his, his signs out in Buncombe. I mean, Buncombe is 40% of the registered voters in this district, but it ain't enough to win, right? So we know, of course, Davis is going to win Buncombe County, probably by a good margin. Um, Jackson County is a pretty purple county. It's a county that went for Roy Cooper and went for Donald Trump in 2016, went for Obama in 08. That one could go either way. Swain County is one that perhaps Davis could pull. Um, Madison County's maybe not outside of the realm of possibility. Other than that, I find it hard to believe that that Davis can pull any of these counties. And so he's going to need to have a strategy that works beyond the lines of Buncombe County to win mm. this race. Has he considered maybe nasty tweets? Maybe that might yeah, be... I they, they can they considered them and uh, they don't age well. It turns out, <laughs> that's right. that's... not like a fine wine. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, it is amazing the amount of social the, the stuff people put on social. I don't understand it. I think I said this the other day on one of the shows was uh, the advice I got a long time ago, and it is so true. Do not put anything down. I think it was an email message actually, but it, same applies for texts and everything else. You don't put stuff down unless you feel comfortable with seeing it you know, blown up by 10, 15 times, put on the side of the wall in a courtroom. 
with a whole bunch of people yeah. looking at it and saying, you wrote this, defend it, you know? And it's, I, I've lived by that. I think I'm pretty sure I could defend virtually everything that I've written. And I tweet a lot. You know this. I tweet a lot. Yes, you do. <laughs> I was going to say, for all the listeners that follow you, Pete believes all of that. That's right. Everything he tweeted out. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, oh, it is good advice. Yeah, they're like, oh, you just say that. You're just saying that for, for Twitter. Like, no, I, I don't say anything. I mean, I, I do play devil's advocate, no doubt about it. But uh, generally, if I'm espousing a belief, I believe it. Um, it's just easier to keep track of it all like that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else on the Mo Davis, uh, Madison Cawthorn. I guess Cawthorn got in trouble because he told somebody to chill the bleep out um, yes. because they got mad at him for standing during the Republican National Convention when he stood up and, like, I went and pulled the guy's voter card, the one that wrote to him. The guy's a Democrat. So, like, he's like, oh, yeah. this is nonpartisan. Like, okay, buddy. Yeah, sure it is. <laughs> so Right. So, yeah, the, and, and the story there, I, I mean, it is interesting, right? So, of course, this guy's a partisan. Um, I am surprised, I will say, that Madison Cawthorn would tell somebody to chill the bleep out, given what you just said, right? right? I mean, it's obvious. He should know by now. After the Instagram posts, after everything else, I would have thought that Madison Cawthorn and more importantly, maybe Madison Cawthorn's handlers wouldn't know better. I am consistently surprised, just like I was when Davis's tweet stayed on there. I'm surprised that, that Cawthorn hasn't cleaned that up better. I'm surprised that when he gave the RNC speech, he, you know, incorrectly said that James Madison signed a document that he did not, in fact, sign. <laughs> uh, and and I, I really do. I blame his handlers more than I blame him. That's why you hire political professionals is to make sure that your speech is tight mm -hmm. and to make sure that you don't do things like that. So I, I was surprised. That's a headline that did not need to happen for Madison Cawthorn. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it, it's sort of the the normalization of this stuff. It's pretty it's happening pretty quickly. I, I know a mm -hmm. lot of people say it's because of Donald Trump, but, you know, Trump doesn't make people behave in ways that they don't want to behave. So, um, right. I, I, yeah, I've said that's Trump's superpower. He you know, he has no shame and then he exposes others for having none either. <laughs> and so uh, yes. that's, this is where we are. And, you know, you don't hire people to help you with your social media stuff. Maybe people don't need to. I mean, maybe maybe. Maybe we're wrong, right? Maybe Could be. we're, yeah, like maybe that's old school and it doesn't matter anymore. People expect you to get salty in a, in a text exchange with a, with a, uh, you know, somebody from the Raleigh area. He's not a constituent. So uh, maybe people mm -hmm. are okay with that nowadays. Well, and I think partisans are, right? And and we see this in the Davis piece too, right? I mean, Davis is the one I think who called his own tweets salty tweets and yeah. said, uh, take take me figuratively, not literally, which is, I believe, exactly how people defend Donald right. Trump's tweets. Um, so, yes, they are all doing it. And it could be that, that you and I are aging faster than we would like to admit. Um, I, I still think it's probably not a great thing if you want to get undecided voters and undecided voters. Uh, you know, there are still some of those out there. There's a lot of unaffiliated voters in this district. Um, I think if they just had a little delay before they hit go on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, we'd probably all be in a little bit better shape. It's the old uh, practice that Abraham Lincoln used to uh, do, which was to write the letter to his adversaries and then not mail it. You know, he That's would, right. he'd write out the letter, put it in his desk drawer and let it sit there. And if he still wanted to send it later on, then he would. But it would be after, you know, much contemplation. 
Much like selling a house takes a lot of contemplation, which means you need Rowena Patton. Call Rowena Patton at 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com, and she can walk you through all the decision-making process when you're buying or selling a home. That's what she's doing for us. We're buying a home, and we called Rowena, the only agent that I would ever call for buying or selling a home. You should as well. She's the official Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. Buyers and sellers get 25% back from realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, whether veterans, active duty, or retirees. So give her a call at 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. Dr. Chris Cooper from Western Carolina. Um, I'm curious about this. Uh, I saw a tweet that you had sent out or retweeted that there's a bunch of money that's now getting shifted by the Trump campaign. Out of Ohio, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Michigan, and the money is being moved to Florida, Arizona, Georgia, and North Carolina. So Mm -hmm. what do we read into that? I think it's probably um, bad news for Donald Trump. I mean, I think if he is having to shore up, uh, if he feels like he has to shore up Arizona, North Carolina, and Florida in particular – um, then that's probably not good news. The fact that he would need to put any money into Georgia is very, very bad news, I think, for Donald Trump. I, I think it's a realization that the Sun Belt is is the sort of location of the rise of the Republican Party in this country to some degree, um, and that strategically he's better off trying to hold on to that Sun Belt. But I think that's not it's not good news for the Trump campaign. I think it does show that he's having to contest some places that he probably shouldn't have to contest Georgia really being number one on that list that kind of surprised me, right? And a good year for Republicans and a good year for Donald Trump. He doesn't need to spend much there at all. Mm -hmm. Does it indicate that he feels confident that those are shored up? It could be, right? It could be that he feels good. I I find it hard to believe that Minnesota would be a state that he feels good. I mean, I I get that there's a a chance he could win Minnesota, um, but I find it hard to believe. My guess is that is one that he's just saying, okay, I'm ready to take an L on that one Hmm. and make sure that I hold on to some W's somewhere else. So, you know, I think it's probably a mix of cases in there. Ohio, maybe he feels good about. Um, I wouldn't if I were him. Minnesota, I definitely think is one he's just giving up on. And Iowa could be in that category, too. Yeah. So the discussion about uh, and everything we've seen about, you know, Cal Cunningham and the latest stuff with uh, Madison Cawthorn. Now I will say something. I know you're you're a political scientist guy, so I'm I, I'm not trying to offend, but I see these as reasons why you should not vote so early because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, a month before the actual election. Yeah, and look, there is a trade-off. There's no doubt about it. I, I mean, I think. Um campaigns want you to vote early. Of course they do, right? They want to bank the vote for them. I mean, the hardest thing, you know, you win elections in this world, not by persuasion, but by mobilization. So if you can mobilize people early, bank that vote, it's a good investment for the campaigns. I I tend to like it because I tend to think that higher voter turnout is a better thing for us. But look, it's not without problems. And it is absolutely true that, you know, I've already cast my vote. Anything that happens from here on out cannot affect my vote by definition. So if there's some huge bomb to drop between now and the election, there's nothing I can do about it. And so, yeah, I think both sides should be of this argument need to be fair and honest about the trade-off. And I think it is a trade-off. Neither one is a big win. So you just said something there that uh, I, so I want to ask you about. You said higher turnout. You believe that in, that in general higher turnout is better for us. 
Why do you think that? Because I think it shows that democracy is healthier. I mean, ultimately, I think it's better if more people participate in democracy. And the primary way in which we participate, yeah, we listen to good radio shows like this one, and we talk to our friends about politics, and we put up yard signs, evidently not Roy Cooper ones, um, <laughs> and we do all these things. But look, voting is still the lifeblood of democracy. And I think the more people who participate in it, the better off we are. Um, we know that voting is a habitual act, right? It's like brushing your teeth or you know making your bed in the morning. If you did it last time, you're more likely to do it next time. So I think if we're trying to build a country of people who participate and don't just sit on the sidelines, then the more of them that participate, the better. But doesn't that require some understanding of civics in the first place? Because all of the surveys show that mm -hmm. Americans' understanding of basic civics is terrible, absolutely yeah. terrible. It's dreadful. Why would you want people who know nothing about the system <laughs> or the people uh, that are running the system, why would you want those folks to be engaged in simply voting when they don't know, like, they can't name a single Supreme Court justice. They don't know how many there are. They can't name mm -hmm. the vice president. They don't know how many branches of government there are. Right? They, they, they like, fundamental things about the society mm -hmm. that, that or the government that they don't know why would you encourage them to go influence the infrastructure that way? Because I don't think I should be, and I love these questions, by the way. Um, <laughs> and I like, I, seriously, I love this conversation. This is great. Um, and I'm glad you're pushing on it because I think that I shouldn't be the one who decides what is enough knowledge. And it scares me to think that anybody would say, hey, you know, this is enough knowledge to participate and to not. And I also think that showing up to vote does give you an incentive to learn what you need to learn. So no, you're right. People do a very bad job, you know, with the 20 questions of American politics. And let's be honest, I just picked on Madison Cawthorn for not getting a detail of a signature right in a speech. So right, he shouldn't absolutely, vote. He should right, not right, vote. Exactly, using that logic, right? So of course I think he should, right? And I think those aren't the best ways to figure out who should vote. I'd rather just open up the floodgates of voting and say, Everybody have at it, as many as we can, and I do think that people do more research when they vote than when they don't vote. And I think one good thing about early voting is it's like an open book test, right? You can, in fact, consult all these sources while you're sitting down and voting, at least with absentee by mail. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some good things for democracy. And again, nothing is free. Nothing is without trade-offs, and you're right. If, if turnout was... 90%. Now we're a long ways from that. But if turnout was 90%, there'd be an awful lot of people participating who didn't know these facts. But you know what? We're nowhere near that number now, and there's still those people participating. So, right. But this gets to something you wrote about uh, at uh, oldnorthstatepolitics.com, uh, where you talked about the in-person voting. You t or, or, sorry, this was, no, not at Old North State. This was at the Citizen Times, uh, where you wrote about the mobilization efforts for youth vote. Well, mm -hmm. and this it's interesting because COVID is actually having a negative impact on a lot of these efforts, right? Because you, mm -hmm. they, uh, these groups can't go onto campus and just get all the college kids to vote um, and register there or, or yeah, register them to vote and then get them to, to do their balloting right there. Um, and so uh, what is the argument, though, to say that those people are actually doing any kind of research if it's simply a mobilization game? You're just mm -hmm. dragging more people out there. There's no difference, really, in saying, here's 10 bucks, go vote for the Democrat, go vote for the Republican, whatever. There's no difference, right? And just this is what they used to do to, to buy elections in the past. 
except now you don't have to actually buy it, right? Like it's right. it's just a mobilization effort, like you said. So it it actually encourages ignorance of what's going on because you're just. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I I'm not sure about that. Again, I love the. I'm glad you're pushing on it, and I mean that sincerely. Um, I'm not sure that's true. I don't know that mobilization is akin to to vote buying, and I think these nonpartisan mobilization efforts are generally a good thing. You know, take you know, look, young people in North Carolina are unaffiliated. They're not Democrats or Republicans, right? At least registering. Um, so I don't think we're you know stocking the 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 pond with one particular type of fish or the other i'm just talking Um, about ignorance level i this has nothing to do with uh with uh partisanship it's just about people who don't have any understanding of civics first off and more importantly when it comes to college kids and i know this is like you know i'm in your wheelhouse now with the college kids and all but they, they they don't even live there right um and so they they don't but yet they're going to be casting ballots for city council races, county commission mm-hmm. races, and mm-hmm. I'm to believe that during these mobilization efforts that they're going to do the research on, you know, all of the local, you know, uh, soil and sure. water conservation district candidates. I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm just not. I think that they're getting, they're going in there and they're saying, here's the ballot, and then they'll just Christmas tree the thing, you know? Yeah, well, I don't think we – look, we'd know that. If, if there was a lot of evidence of Christmas tree ballots, we'd be able to see that, right? We'd pick up these weird patterns of voting in college campus precincts. We definitely don't see that. And I also think a lot of these mobilization days, both candidates, uh, the Democrats and the Republicans, are on top of it. I mean, take the 11th. If we get higher turnout in, you know, at UNCA and at Western and these other, you know, mountain campuses – who does that benefit? Does that benefit the 26-year-old Republican, or does that benefit the 60-whatever-he-is-year-old uh, Democrat? I'm not really sure what the answer is, and I also think if turnout is lower, then are, are we saying that if we had 20% turnout, then everybody who turns out is going to be better citizens, therefore be governed better? I'm not sure that I buy that. Well, no, I'm not sure I buy that either, because like you said earlier, just because people are voting and they make it a habit to do so doesn't make them educated. They they could very well just be going pulling a straight party ticket. Um, and, 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 And so but my argument is not the counter, which my argument is not lower voting turnout is better. I'm not making that argument. I'm just making the argument that higher turnout might not be better. <laughs> That's all. Well, well, uh, yeah. what, is, what is the opposite of higher turnout? Right? It's lower turnout. Right. And, well, no turnout. Zero turnout except me. Zero. Except me. Right. Now, that's what we would have. This is right. This is what Plato wanted, right? Plato wanted Philosopher Kings, which I think was code for podcaster in 2020. I think, <laughs> I think you're right. I think you are correct. So let us so let me get to the, um, the, uh, the story that you did or the article that you did post up at Old yeah. North State. Um, the number and placement of early voting sites. Uh, you yeah. say this is critical to a well-functioning democracy. So why uh-huh. is that? And uh, what what did you learn by looking at the the number of sites? Yeah. So um, all right. So this is uh, predicated on. So it's good you're pushing me on it, right? The idea that that more turnouts better, and that if we can get more people to show up to vote, it's a more it's a healthier democracy. So if you if you buy that, if you don't buy that argument, then you're not going to buy what follows. But if you do buy that argument, then we know empirically, and this makes sense, right? The more, early, the more, the closer a voting uh, location is, the greater your probability of voting is, right? If you don't have to go as far, you're more likely to vote. You certainly see that in some of these mountain counties, right? So, mm-hmm. if you're in Jackson County, you have to drive from Cashers into Silva. 
you know, that's a 45-minute drive. You may not do that to cast your one vote, especially if you're just fired up for president. So the idea is eh, we're going to be in a lot better shape if we have more precincts that are closer to the people. And I think we got some pretty good news, right? This is actually not a bad news story. This is not a the sky is falling story. I think what I figured out there is that uh, you know, there are some patterns that shift over time, but for the most part, we actually have, you know, a, a fairly decent number of polling places. We haven't seen this dramatic decline. The bottom hasn't dropped out of this, um, and that at least in North Carolina, we're doing a pretty good job right now. Okay. Um, I don't know if I agree with the premise again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. Good. So here, here's a an idea. David Harsanyi from National Review. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, I've talked with him about this over the years. What about a? How about the citizenship test? You, everybody, when you get when you register to vote, you got to take the citizenship test, which is like twenty questions, and you got to get like eleven of them right, something like that. So up to ten right, and you're out. Eleven, you're in. Something like that. Something, yeah. something like that. Something like so, that. You got to, right? You got to get more than half correct on the citizenship test. So you so, basically, so, here, so you have, yeah. so, so it proves that you have an understanding of the system that you are attempting to influence. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, so this is where I have some advantage because I listen to your show a lot, Pete. So, <laughs> so I've heard you make the same <laughs> argument on different kinds of things, right? <laughs> so eleven, why not, uh, why not ten, Pete? Because it's better than half. Okay, so that's it. So that's so that's your line is more than half. So more than half is good enough. Correct. <laughs> the point is, it's right. It's an arbitrary standard. Correct. And I but, think, but it is we a standard. Both agree. But it's it a is standard. a standard, right? And I would argue no standard on that is better than an arbitrary standard. In all seriousness, and I think that look, I've looked at the citizenship test before. My guess is you have to. I bet neither one of us could do a very good job right now saying what's on exactly the citizenship test. I don't think we should be advocating for a test that we're not really sure which questions it consists of. I actually do know the questions. Hit the, me. Well, well, I mean, I, there are 20 of them, and they usually are okay. the same. And uh, they're, they're, there's a very limited universe of them. So essentially, uh-huh. you could basically memorize these things. Um, uh-huh. And every time I've taken it, I usually score like 19 out of 20. So yeah. I, I'm confident that I would be able to vote after my standard. I'm com- <laughs> And I agree. I'm confident as well. And I'm take, I think those are actually samples of the full citizenship test, the ones that are online. I think the full one is actually the longer. Well, yeah, I'm not, we're not um, doing the long, not the like the hundred something question one. Not that. Right. That's ridiculous. Well, and, and, and I would also add that, you know, we've been down this road, right? I mean, we, we used to have literacy tests in this country. And mm-hmm. We know how they were used. And I, I think that actually is the bigger point. The, the fact that somebody has to decide what's enough, right? Right. There was a time in American history where we said, how many bubbles are in a bar of soap? And no matter that was a real literacy test question, a knowledge question that used in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And no matter what the answer was, you and I probably would pass mm-hmm. and black people probably wouldn't. Right. So I don't like the idea of somebody saying this is the knowledge level that you have to have to vote. Um, although we do, interestingly, still have a literacy test in the North Carolina Constitution. Interesting. Yes. It is not active, and the no. general idea is that it's not really you, – you couldn't enforce it, but it is in there. And for any listener, go look it up. Look up your North Carolina Constitution, and you will find the literacy test. I'm we wondering. had an opportunity to get rid of it in 1972, I believe, and it failed. I'm wondering how hard would it be to run some legislation changing literacy to citizenship? 
just a simple word change right there mm -hmm. that might achieve my goal. There um, you go. <laughs> well, it's easier than writing a whole new law. It's already there. It is. Yeah. That is that's a good point. <laughs> well, I'm a pragmatist. Now, if you're a pragmatist, go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Cold weather gear and clothing is in stock. He's open Monday through Saturday, Main Street, downtown Clyde. Thermal underwear, military grade, all sizes, wool sweaters, military field jackets, and solid green and camo. Um, if you work outside, if you're a hunter, this is heavy-duty warm clothing, Gore-Tex jackets, wool socks, toboggans, and uh, you're going to find it cheaper at Old Grouches than you're going to find it at most outdoors stores. So um, go check them out. they got backpacks for the kids going back to school. These are military grade, and so they're going to last a lot longer than the ones from the big box stores. Old Grouch's Military Surplus across the street from the anti-aircraft gun in downtown Clyde and at oldgrouch.com. Um, so what else we got? So early voting begins October fifteenth, yeah. um, and uh, this kind of dovetails into this uh, this October fifteenth date. Uh, before uh, the interview, we were discussing the absentee ballot situation uh, with the Board of Elections and all this, and y you you recommend that if you're going to vote absentee, mail it away by October 15th. That's right. Yeah, I think get it in early um, is is the best idea. And so I would say get it in by October 15th. Make sure that it counts in however you're voting. Um, so I actually brought mine to the local board of elections and just uh, handed it to them in person. So it was like my own personal uh, early vote, if you will. Mm hmm uh, and then because I'm a dork, I download the data every day and <laughs> obsessively checked it until my ballot showed up. Um, but yes, I would recommend getting in early if you're going to do, um, if you're going to do mail-in voting. And I think October 15th is a pretty good line in the sand. Although I will admit, ironically, an arbitrary one. Right. Everything's arbitrary. So, uh, you're not, to, you did not feel it ne necessary to, uh, follow Donald Trump's advice on the show up in person thing. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. I'm not going to be trying to cast a second ballot. And uh, and I understand that maybe he didn't say that. I'll also listen to that episode. Of well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, if you uh, this is the problem when you're trying to decipher what Trump says and what he means. If you read what he read, read what he said, he doesn't explicitly say vote twice. And so, yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. and this is what I mean. Like we're we're at such a place now where. I can't even believe headlines. Well, you never should believe headlines, but I can't believe stories even when it's like they have these quotes in there. I know I'm going off topic here, but they put quotes in there and then you go and find the original source quote and it's not what he said. And it's kind of mm -hmm. like, this is so disprovable. Why would you, why would you do this? Every, uh, Trump has broken so many people. Anyway, um, let me, uh, let me get to the absentee ballot stuff. The board yeah. of elections, as again, standard disclaimer, as of this moment, as far as we know, nothing has changed. The absentee ballot uh, situation is still sort of in limbo because of these conflicting uh, court rulings, one from a state judge, one from a federal judge. Um, I read what that consent agreement was that was entered into by uh, you know, Mark Elias representing the AFL-CIO-affiliated organization and the Board of Elections. I read that as essentially doing away with the witness signature requirement on absentee ballots. The federal mm -hmm. judge agrees with me. State judge does not. Um, and so right now, where does it stand when somebody sends in a ballot that doesn't have a witness signature? What happens? So it, it's held, essentially, right? So there's this process that we've all become more familiar with lately called ballot curing, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is P. Callender mails in his ballot. Um, he has Christy sign for it, but Christy uh, maybe signs where she should write her name and then writes her name where she should sign, 
or in reality, it's probably Pete that would have messed that up. Probably. So the ballot goes back in. They then take it and say, okay, we got something wrong before they would have cured it by sending it back and saying, hey, Pete, you messed this thing up. Vote again. Um, and now then they were the Democrats were essentially trying to argue you should be able to have this affidavit. I know you've covered that in the past. And now they're saying the Board of Elections is just going to hold it. So to give people a sense of like how often we're talking. So as of this morning in the 11th congressional district, 98% of the ballots that had been submitted have been accepted in some form. And so there's about 2% that have at some point been hanging out there in some other category, whether duplicate or pending or pending cure, which is this new category they have, returned undeliverable, spoiled. Now, spoiled means that you actually cancel the ballot or some sort of a witness information incomplete. So we're mm -hmm. talking about 2% of the ballots um, that could be essentially held, presumably until next week when we finally get what may actually be the final court ruling. And so how many ballots so far have been returned? You said it's only 2%. What kind of volume are we looking at? So on the 11th, we've got a you know round numbers, 42,000 accepted ballots. Okay, so about 2% of those, again, are in one of these other categories. 394 of them are in this pending cure category, which means, hey, we're going to probably cure this thing, and we're just kind of hanging out and waiting 211 of them are spoiled. And again, spoiled sounds different than, than perhaps it really means. So I'll give you a good spoiled example. The first one I noticed in the Board of Elections, not from the 11th, was somebody who was very clearly a Chapel Hill student. She had her ballot sent to a Chapel Hill address. It was going to some P.O. box on campus. She spoiled her ballot. And then it was delivered to her in Wilmington, where clearly she was from. And then she cast her ballot and was accepted. So so spoiled in that case probably meant here's somebody who was at UNC. UNC said, uh, you, you can't come home, but go home, but you, you got to stay here. Mm -hmm. uh, or you, you, you can't stay here. You got to go wherever you want. I messed that one up. And uh, <laughs> so then she gets the ballot again, and then she gets it sent to her home in Wilmington. So these aren't all nefarious, and they're not even all screw-ups. They can actually be on purpose because somebody said, hey, I'm not actually going to be in this location. Right. Yeah, spoiled just means there's something wrong with it. It's just... And it's, right. it's it's uh uncurable, incurable, right? The it is incurable, and and you can be the one who decides that. Again, hey, I said send me the ballot in Chapel Hill, but I ain't in Chapel Hill because they had too much COVID. Send it to me in Wilmington, right? Um, and so uh, absentee ballots statewide. Do you know those numbers? Yeah, so statewide we're in the ballpark of four hundred and twenty thousand. So for uh, for those of you true libertarians who like to to exercise your right to uh, to, to inhale certain substances, this is four twenty day in, uh, in in absentee by mail balloting. There you go. That's see, you really are like you you break beyond just the the two major parties for your observations. That's exactly right. And usually it's about. Usually it's not about weed, right? Usually my observations that you know, like rivers or mountain bike trails or maybe beer, but I, you know I'm trying to expand my palate. Beat. That's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> but that's music. So, <laughs> so the um, is this four hundred twenty thousand? Is yeah. this comparable to years past? Is this more? No. I, every I mean everything we're hearing yeah. is that like everybody is voting early and by absentee. But I've also seen some uh, some suggestion that. Democrats are essentially cannibalizing their early voting mm -hmm. and election day voting. Yes. So um, 
All right, so there's two things that we know for sure, and then I'll get to the cannibalizing question, which is a really smart one. Um, so one, yes, it's way up. Um, it is up. We're already over twice the number of accepted ballots than we were in all of 2016. If you take all of 2016 all the way through Election Day, we're more than twice that number, and we're barely in October. Okay, so yeah, this is huge volume. Other big change, in 2016, it was the Republicans who were the plurality of returners. Republicans were the most likely people to return absentee by mail, right? A lot of that was because the military mm. tends to use absentee by mail, not exactly the most Democratic population. So I think 40% of all accepted ballots in 2016 were, were from Republicans. Um, we've seen a radical shift in that. This time it's 17%, only 17% of, of accepted ballots thus far have been from Republicans. So we went from, to fancy it up a little, from partisan asymmetry, right, not symmetry, not symmetrical, mm -hmm. where the Republicans are the most likely to return it to a world in which the Democrats are. So then the third question you asked or point you made was, are the Democrats just cannibalizing their own vote? And it, it, certainly that's possible. We don't know, right? So far, there's no other form to compare it to. So yeah. starting October 15th, that's when we're going to start to be able to check this and see, okay, are we seeing folks, are we seeing the Democratic numbers go way down on these other types of balloting? So too early to know on the last, but on the first two, pretty clear answers. Now, if you're looking for clear answers on your website, Schaefer Smith Design can help you. You need it to turn up in search results. You want it to look professional, be user-friendly, and he can help you with all of that. Schaefer Smith Design. Great design can solve a lot of websites' problems. Professional services, corporate, small businesses, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you with graphics and photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He even does logos like mine for the Pete Callender Show. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and uh, get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. Dr. Chris Cooper, I bet there are campaigns that are doing the mobilization efforts, the get-out-the-vote efforts, that know what's happening. Because if every year you go out and you're always, you know, got to go see Chris Cooper, go, go knock on his mm -hmm. door, help him get his ballot done and all that. Um, and if they know that in years past, you know, they, they were responsible for a territory, if I was responsible yeah. for a territory, and I had, you know, 200 people in my zone, then... Uh, and I now am getting them all to vote absentee, then I know they're not going to be voting early voting. I know I'm not going to have to, you know, get mm -hmm. the vans together and souls to the polls on, you know, Sunday. So uh, I suspect there are some campaigns that probably know this. Now, the question is, do they adapt? Do they say, OK, now we can go try to hit other voters, try to get other people that we traditionally haven't been able to? Do we make more effort on them? I guess. Exactly. And, and, and look, you can look at this, right? So if you piece together the voter history file, you do find out that, you know, of course, most of these people had voted um, by mail before, but it's a huge increase. So clearly they're coming from somewhere else. The question is, yes, do they adapt um, or is it a complete cannibalization? And yeah. I think campaigns can know this. I'm actually surprised, frankly, that they don't do a better job. It's pretty easy to get these data like I said, I've already voted, yet I get flyers in my mailbox every day, and I don't understand why they wouldn't take me off their list. Right. That was one of the things I remember reading uh, about the Obama campaign in 2008, that they had they had it so perfected that as soon as you got out and voted early, everything stopped. They quit calling mm -hmm. it like they moved on. They did not waste any more 
time or resources on voters who had already gone out to vote. Um, that's that's right. how, yeah, that's how uh, how honed their machine was. I also uh, came across a Gallup survey several weeks ago that talked about COVID fears in it, and they broke it down by partisanship. And uh, only to, and the only really relevant point here is that Democrats have a greater misperception of the risks of COVID-19. And so if they have a, mis- a greater misperception than Republicans do, who also, by the way, have a misperception of the risks, but if um, if the Democrats have a, a greater misperception, that would drive them, I would think, more towards the absentee ballot, right? Like, it's just, yes. I, I mean, they just, if they're more afraid to, of catching the virus, then they're more likely going to vote absentee. Yeah, I think two things have happened. One, absolutely, right? We know that people's perception of the virus is um, at least influenced by your partisan lens. And there's no doubt about that. Yeah. That's absolutely true. And I would add to that, you know, when the president attacks mail-in voting, that has two effects. One, it makes Republicans less likely to do it, and it makes Democrats more likely to do it. <laughs> so from a, you know, just political strategy perspective, you know, I'm not sure that is the smartest strategy for Donald Trump. I, I think you want those votes banked if you're a candidate, regardless of where, where you stand on the great information uh, test debate of 2020, as our previous <laughs> conversation right. shall be known. Well, but what now? But how about how about this? If the if you're relying on the Postal Service to get all those ballots there, is that actually a clever play? If you know Democrats are going to reflexively oppose whatever you suggest, so you say don't do it, so they're going to go do it, and now mm-hmm. more of their ballots might get lost in the mail. True. True. He's, he's, hey, maybe think... he's playing seven-dimensional chess on us here. He could be. That is very possible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he is. At uh, least one-dimensional checkers. <laughs> that's right. Uh, all right. Is there uh, anything else on this? I've already kept you way late. Uh, is there anything else you want no, to add you think is important or interesting uh, before I let you go? That It's happening also across the state in all different kinds of counties. So, uh, you know, I'll put these data up on Twitter, and I'll consistently have people say, oh, Henderson County's way up. That must be good for the Republican Party. Um, it's, it's actually remarkable to me looking at the data it is Democrats who are the most likely people to vote absentee by mail, and it is regardless of whether it is a Democratic or a Republican stronghold. So I think it's worth noting. Yeah, interesting stuff. I appreciate your time, Dr. Chris Cooper, the Madison Distinguished Professor of Political Science and Public Affairs at Western Carolina University. Always good to talk with you. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, Pete. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast, give it a positive review, and consider becoming a patron of the program. You get cool stuff and exclusive content. Links are at thepetecalendarshow.com and in the description of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and the support. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.